When Fatima Muhammad first heard the gunshots, she shook it off, believing it was just a harmless blast from the nearby transformer. On the other side of the school, another student, sitting across her own younger sister, assumed the same too. The cables had been in the habit of sparking unexpectedly. But suddenly, there were sounds of many feet hitting the ground rapidly, the frightened wailing of children, and the gunshots again. Fatima grabbed her friend's hand and ran out of the dormitory. The girl from the opposite end of school grabbed her sister and ran too. She does not know it yet, but her sister will not survive what is to come. This is Vestiges of Violence, a weekly podcast about personal stories of violence victims. For Human Uncle, I am Hamida. We headed towards the gates at the other end of the school, hoping we could escape, but a truck was driving behind us, furiously chasing us. Even though the men were dressed in military uniform, I knew a repeat of the Chibok abduction was going to happen. The men kept shooting at us from their truck. We kept running towards the gate, but we found it locked. That was when we stopped running. Fatima Mohammed was one of the Debchi school girls abducted from their dormitory in 2018 by ISWAP. She shares her memory of the events through the deaths of other girls shared captivity with Leah Sharivo and joining near Lake Chad. The truck backed in front of us. The men, masked and wielding guns, came down. They made a phone call. In the call, they, they asked the person to tell the others to bring the rest of the trucks that they had been victorious. This gives the possibility that though the attack had been successful, it had not been extensively planned with the group's leadership, nor skillfully executed. It might have been an opportunity cited merely days before, and the rest of the planning might have been rushed through. Still, it had been successfully executed due to the military withdrawing its troops from the vicinity in the face of an imminent attack. When the trucks arrived, the girls now assembled in the compound by the gates, were violently hurled inside, atop each other. Even though there had been several trucks, each carrying several militants, all 115 of the girls abducted were crammed into one truck. Then, their journey into the wilderness began. None of us went into those trucks on our own. We were all forced into it. The heat within the truck was unbearable, and we were fasting. We were suffocating, and some of us were dying. They then split the rest of their captives into several other trucks and gave them sachet water with dates to break their fasts. Many of the girls were afraid to eat the dates due to fear of being poisoned. At the time, there was a widespread rumor in our village that Anyone who ate dates from Boko Haram would become one of them automatically. So we were really scared of eating it. I didn't eat it either. Many of us did not eat it. 
when the trucks pass the Komsa local government area of Yobe State, northeast Nigeria, the terrorists packed and began to remove the corpses. Then, they asked the rest of the girls to approach and identify them and provide their names. After the girls were buried, they continued their journey. They journeyed for three days on both land and water, sometimes on foot while on land and using ferries and canoes to cross large bodies of water. Fatima calculated that they crossed seven rivers. Nigerians have often wondered how it was possible to move such a large gathering of children through several states for days without being tracked. This is because many lack the understanding of the terror group's geographical reach of remote territories, especially in ungoverned spaces abundant in Nigeria's northern region. The men told the girls that they were being taken to Burma in Borno State, but information and descriptions provided by Fatima and the other girls, such as the fact that they crossed seven rivers, passed Gomsa town, and journeyed for up to three days, suggests that they were taken near Lake Chad. While on the way, especially walking through the forests, Fatima recalls a helicopter constantly hovering above them high up in the sky. The terrorists claimed that the helicopter belonged to them and was communicating with them through mobile phones. This claim could not be independently verified, but a source knowledgeable about the activities of ISWAP said they probably wanted to scare the girls who were contemplating escape. When they arrived at their destination, Fatima found that there were no proper camps. It was a vast expanse of land surrounded by trees. They spent the next one month and a day in that open place with no provision for bathing or privacy. They asked for our names, our parents' names, our villages and full addresses and wrote it down in a register. Then they gave us mosquito nets and raw food. They brought rice, maize and the likes. Then they selected the girls who were a little older among us to cook for us. First they grouped us, so each group had a girl who was slightly older as the cook. They spent the next week listening to constant sermons from their captors, warning about never returning to school and not subscribing to democracy as it is un-Islamic and sinful. They tried to turn them against the idea of the Nigerian state, which is the very foundation of the group's existence. A day came when the girls were informed by their captors that a man who they referred to as Amir will see them. He started yelling at the other men, asking them why they abducted such little children and that they should return us immediately to wherever they got us from. Maybe the instruction was to get people that were older than us. On the day they were informed that they would be released, some of the girls thought they were merely going to be moved to another location. Ten of the girls decided to plot an escape. Leah Sheribun was one of them. They were caught a few days later, and it was then that her status as a Christian was found out and the beginning of her endless captivity. We had been speaking to some of their wives. Some of them told us that 
they became their wives after they were abducted in the same manner. It was one of the things that convinced us that we could never leave that place alive. But they made it back alive. On March 21st, 2018, they were brought back to Debchi by their captors. Though Fatima Mohammed was brave enough to go back to school to finish her secondary school education, the very idea of going to university, when mentioned to her, filled her with dread. They said they would kill us if we go back to school. And they can do it. I can't go to university. I wouldn't even be allowed to. This is an episode of Vestiges of Violence. This story was scripted by Zubaydah Baba Ibrahim, reported and edited by Hawa Shefi Noho, produced by Atahiru Jibrin. A quick note about our voice acting. All dramatizations in this episode are based on actual interviews conducted with the subjects. Voice acting by Chigoze Victor. The senior producer is Anthony Asamota. The executive producer is Ahmed Selkida. For more stories, Go to humanangumedia.com and find more episodes wherever you get your podcasts. I am Hanida. <laughs>